Good morning. It's good to be with all of you. Um, this will be the, the season or the series finale in the book of Colossians. And the first week we looked at uh, the title of the sermon was Jesus Qualifies. The occasion for Paul writing to the Colossian church was that there was false teachers creeping in and they were saying that you had to add um, to your kind of your faith, essentially. You had to have kind of mystical experiences. You had to keep some Old Testament laws and so on and so forth. Some Eastern uh, mysticism was going on in the, in the area. And they were saying in order to really fully understand and really fully experience God, you had to, you know, take Jesus, yes, but in addition to that, you had to have certain kind of experiences. And uh, there was disqualifying going on. There was kind of a spiritual elitism, if you will, in the Colossian church, saying you didn't have this experience, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, so therefore you're not really in the club, you haven't really experienced God. And um, the reality is, in in chapter 1, it teaches us that Jesus is the one who qualifies believers to stand in the inheritance of the saints in light in the presence of God the Father. So Jesus qualifies, and in the second second, uh, sermon, we looked at uh, just a little bit more in depth the false teaching that was actually going on and pressed into a lot of the Judaism that was kind of creeping its ugly head into the life of the church. Asceticism and legalism was creeping in. And, um, and, and we looked at how Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies the demands of the law. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God um, uh, that, that was coming at believers um, for not meeting this, the, the, the demands of the law. And Jesus ultimately satisfies the human longing for fellowship with the living God. And because Jesus is the one who satisfies the demands of the law on our behalf, we can have fellowship with God. So Jesus qualifies, he satisfies. And then last week we looked at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Jesus unifies. We, are, we're in, uh, we have union with Christ. The believer has union with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ, in Christ, and uh, when Christ appears um, in glory, we will also appear with him. So we have union with Christ. Jesus unifies us to the living God. So Jesus qualifies, he satisfies, he unifies, and then today, of course, we're going to look at Jesus and how he beautifies the believer. So let me pray and we will get to work on our last sermon here in the book of Colossians. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your steadfast love. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Lord God, that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to this earth to, to qualify us to stand in the, in the inheritance of the saints in light, that you have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the presence of your marvelous light, into your kingdom. And, Lord God, no one can snatch us out of your hands. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the union that we have um, in Christ. We thank you so much, Lord God, that um, we, uh, we, all the benefits... That, uh, that, that you offer to us, to your people, are ours through Christ, because we've been buried with you, we've been raised with you. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have an awesome plan for your people, that you have given us the, the, the robes of your righteousness, and you've called us to put them on. And I pray this morning that the significance and the honor that it is to wear the garments of Christ would land upon this church. I pray that we would be transformed in the calling that we have, Lord God, to put to death and to put off what is earthly and to put on, Lord, what you have 
purchased for us and provided for us through the cross. So we, we just ask, Lord, for your help this morning, and we pray that this sermon would, would uh, land upon us, Lord God, in a life-giving way. We ask this all in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question, and your job is to come up with an answer. What do these names have in common? Ralph Lauren, Coco Chanel, Tommy Hilfiger, Ann Taylor, Giorgio Armani, Calvin Klein. What's all the snickering out there? Um, What do these names have in common? If you guess that they are all designers of clothing, you are correct. And you probably enjoy shopping. I did some fact-finding on Google. And by the way, I chose not to use the word research. Because research, I've just come to the conclusion, has to be more difficult and more consuming than... (laughs) Um, So fact-finding. $1.5 trillion is spent uh, globally, annually, on clothing. Um, And then the caption below that said that this is also about the the same as the GDP of Canada. And, And suddenly, I'm like, GDP of Canada? Suddenly that doesn't sound so impressive. Um, I didn't... I mean, this is no offense to our Canadian friends, but... I never knew the Canadian economy to be a world power. So I didn't know if this was higher or low. Um, perhaps lake water is part of the, the GDP in Canada? Um, I don't know. But nonetheless, $1.5 trillion is truly an amazing amount of money, right? Uh, perhaps if they would have said something along the lines of it was 15 times Uh, the net worth of of Bill Gates, that would have just seemed more impressive right off the bat. But nonetheless, uh, $1.5 trillion is spent globally annually on clothing. One in six workers globally work in the clothing industry. Um, What's the point of all of this? What am I getting at? Clothing is not only necessary, but how we look is very important to us. Right? Clothes does a number of things for us. Number one, it protects our bodies from the elements. Obvious enough, right? It covers us and it covers our nakedness and keeps us from feeling shame. Uh, It reveals your identity, doesn't it? In a number of different ways. The kinds of clothing... I mean, haven't you said something like, I wouldn't be caught dead in that outfit, or that looks like something uh, a so-and-so would wear... Um, So it kind of reveals our identity. There are certain things you would wear and you would not wear. Um, It helps you to fit in. If there's a dress code at a certain situation or event or whatever it might be, um, you will either fit in or not fit in very quickly based on what you are wearing. It distinguishes us and identifies you with a certain group or ideals. Imagine you are wearing a work uniform for, say, UPS. Um, You embody now the ideals and the values of that company. You might actually be a nice person when you interact with a company or with a customer because you represent the company. 
You might actually drive a little bit more carefully when you uh, drive with that uniform on because you are representing the ideals of that country, uh, co company and now it becomes part of your identity. Most importantly, I bet we could probably go on, but I want to end here and say it beautifies you. Clothes make you look beautiful. It makes you look good, right? Have you ever found that no matter how hip or cool a certain piece of clothing that you might own is, if it doesn't actually fit just right, or if it isn't quite your style, you just won't wear it? You might wear it once or twice, but after that, you're like, it's close, but no cigar. And you'll find it sitting in your closet for a year or two, thinking you will wear it someday, but reality, you won't wear it. Uh, when you feel good about your outfit and when you feel good about your look, it makes you feel just a little more confident, a little bit more attractive, does it not? Clothing matters. It's a big deal. It is part of your identity. It tells people right off the bat what you're like. It helps us to feel beautiful and attractive. Now, some Christians automatically equate beauty with vanity. Culturally, the desire for beauty is exploited. Isn't it? The desire for beauty is explo exploited. Consumers or marketers know this, so they exploit the desire that human ha humans have for beauty. And they do turn it into vanity through marketing and consumerism. But the Bible also makes a big deal about clothing, and it does validate our deep desire to be beautiful. The desire for beauty isn't automatically vanity. Now, it should go, it should be said that the way that the Bible thinks about beauty is very different than the way that American culture thinks about beauty. Now, in our passage today, we're learning about clothing. There is a clothing theme in Colossians chapter 3. But it, we're not talking about clothing in terms of fabric and stitching and linen, but we're talking about the garments of Christ's righteousness that God provides. For his people to wear. This is a garment not that we put on like a pair of pants, but it's an outfit that we wear in our conduct, ultimately in our faith in Christ and worship unto God. In fact, if we're going to go back to the, the fashion names that I had listed off, let me throw two more at you. How about Adam? And how about Jesus? Each one of them have their own lines of clothing. Scripture teaches that, and in Colossians 3, 5 through 17 is a, a great example of this, or 4, 1, that all humanity is clothed with either one of these two lines of clothing. You're either clothed in the line of Adam's clothing, or you're robed in the line of Jesus' clothing. And also, Scripture makes the implicit point that your clothing must be linked to your identity. Colossians 3, 5 through 11 tells us what Adam's line of clothing looks like. Adam, there's two representatives. Essentially, in Scripture, there's two main representative heads. One of the creation and the sinful rebellion against God, and one of the new creation, the new Adam. Adam represents all mankind in their sinful rebellion against God. And it tells us what his line of clothing looks like in verses 5 through 11. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And he says, believers, you once walked in this. You once wore this line of clothing. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Lying to one another. And this is just a list. We could go elsewhere in Scripture and broaden out this list as well. Colossians 3.12 on talks about the line of clothing from Jesus Christ, the representative of the new creation. What does Jesus' line of clothing look like? Put on then. See that language? Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what Jesus' line of clothing looks like. And, you know, as a side point, I want to point out what was listed three times there, the most common thing to be listed in that passage? Thankfulness. Which means that the believer's go-to outfit, you know, your favorite pair of jeans. Do you guys have a favorite pair of jeans right, that you might wear three, four, five, six, seven days in a row without washing them because they fit so comfortably? You know, I hesitated to say days, maybe even weeks. Because I noticed that there's, you know, some young people here that don't do their own laundry. So we might actually hit seven weeks in a row of wearing a same pair of jeans. Anybody hit that, by the way? <laughs> so thankfulness really should be the believer's favorite um, go-to piece of clothing. It's like your favorite pair of jeans that you just love to wear all the time. You know, it's kind of like you, you, we get to know each other enough around here and you just have certain outfits that people wear, and you just look at it and say, oh, that's that person. You know, the world ought to look at Christians and say, thankfulness, oh, that's, that's their outfit, that's their, that's, their, that's their comfy pair of jeans. Let me spend the rest of the time with you this morning highlighting three truths about the clothing of Christ as it relates to this passage here. So let me highlight three different uh, things about the clothing of Christ. Number one... The clothing of Christ covers your shame. And number two, the clothing of Christ beautifies you. And number three, the clothing of Christ clarifies your identity and your mission. So I listed one, two, three. How about we start with number one? The clothing of Christ covers your shame. Colossians 3 uses language of clothing, put off, put on. There's also a clothing theme in Genesis 3. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible here. The Bible starts with the story of Adam and Eve. Scripture teaches that there's essentially two representatives of all mankind. 
Adam represents mankind in creation and also their sinful rebellion against God. And Jesus is the new Adam. He he represents mankind in the new creation. Those who are reconciled to God by faith in Christ. So when Adam sinned against God, they, what did they do? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned against God? What was one of the first things that they did? They hid from him. They started running. They were out of there. And what does this mean that they ran and they hid from God? Here's what they didn't do. They didn't come out and say, oh God, you know what? We've sinned. We've defiled ourselves. We've sinned. No, they ran and they hid and they started making excuses and they started blaming God and they blamed each other. That's what running and hiding from God actually does to us. That's what sin causes us to do. Suddenly they realize that they're naked. Now this is a problem. Because they're covered in shame. They're completely naked and they're completely covered in shame. So Adam and Eve, what did they do? Clothing. This is fascinating. Right at the beginning of the Bible, one of the most important junctions we start developing a theology of clothing. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and eventually God makes the first sacrifice for humankind by killing an animal to what? To clothe them, to cover their shame. The only problem is this covering was only temporary, and it's limited in its power we're going to start to see that there is a progression of the clothing that God provides throughout Scripture for his people. Because at this point, they, even though they're covered in their nakedness, they're still asked to leave the presence of God. They are they're kicked out of the garden, which is where God's presence was dwelling at the time. So in other words, even though their bodies were covered by clothing, their shame ran so much deeper than just their nakedness. Their nakedness could be covered up, but they knew that they were guilty. They knew that they were defiled. They were unholy, and therefore they were unworthy to be in the presence of God. So their shame actually ran way deeper than their physical nakedness. Colossians 3 tells us that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, all humankind is now wearing that line of clothing. So all people, no matter how nice their clothes are and how good they smell and how nicely makeup covers their face, cannot actually cleanse themselves of the inner ugliness that is there because of sin. All humankind, as Adam is the representative, is wearing the line of clothing of Adam. The likes of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. Sure, humans can wear clothes, many of them are beautiful, but Scripture teaches that when we do the likes of these sins... It is the outward clothing that we wear which reflects the inside that is unholy, that is dirty, that is severed from God. 
Thus, humankind, sinners, need a line of clothing to not only cover their physical nakedness, they need a line of clothing that cleanses to the core and that beautifies from the inside out. Let me tell you about such a line of clothing. Now, I've got more to say about this point here, that the clothing of Christ covers our shame. But let me move on to the next one. The clothing of Christ beautifies you. There is such a line of clothing that will cover your shame and beautify you. Notice, the first line of clothing that God provides for Adam and Eve, animal skins. He kills an animal, wear it now. There you go. Hardly something you'd find at one of the designer clothes or stores at uh, Mall of America. Shortly thereafter, God provides his people with something that's improved greatly. Remember before when I was talking about there's a progression throughout Scripture? God provides a dead animal. Here, wear this. Well, guess what? Throughout Scripture, as we go on, the clothing that God provides for his people is increasingly beautiful and glorious. By the time we get to Exodus 28, I think I have that slide, look at what we see. Then bring near to you Aaron. He's the, the priest. Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. Why did God fill them with the spirit of skill? So they could spin beautiful clothing, beautiful garments. I have filled with the spirit of skill and that they make Aaron's garments and consecrate him for my priesthood. So do you see what's going on here? The Bible tells a story about how humankind dirtied dirtied themselves and because of it, they could no longer be in God's presence. However, it also tells a story about what God has done to allow his people to come back into his presence. To be fully accepted and fully unconditionally loved by God. You see, in the Old Testament, God instituted a system where a priest would enter the holy place. And this place was so sacred and so holy because God's presence was there, only one person was allowed in. And there was very, very particular conditions upon why this person and how this person would be able to enter. So he instituted a system where priests would enter this holy place and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, essentially to represent God's people before God. Now what's interesting about this is that God went through great lengths to make sure that the garments of the priests were beautiful and glorious. Why? Because the priest represented the people, you see. 
This is what Ed Welch says about this. Fascinating. The status of the king was the status of the people. The beauty of the king was the splendor of the people. In Israel's case, especially since the directions for the priestly garments were given before there even was a human king, your reputation depended on the worth of the priests. Now let me add to this. In Exodus 28, verse 12, it tells us that the priests actually wore the people on their garments. These beautiful garments that were stitched together by people that were inspired by the Spirit. These beautiful garments, the priests actually wore those people into the presence of God. Look at what it says. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the son of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. The names of the people of Israel were etched into the beautiful garments that the priest was now going into the holy place to represent the people before God. Isn't this amazing? What does this mean? The priest went into the Holy of Holies. It was as if the people whom the priest represented also went with him into that place. They are now allowed access into the presence of God. And as God commanded that the priest be robed in glory and beauty, it tells us this is how God intended to see his people too, robed in glory and beauty. Because of the priest, God saw his people in splendor not in their sin. The beauty of the king was the splendor of the people. Now the priests of Israel merely point to the priest, the high priest, to Jesus By the time we get to the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the priest and the king who represents the people of God. If you have faith in Jesus, you are also a new creation in him, and you are now given a new line of clothing to wear. What is that? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness, love, the peace of Christ, and thanks, thanksgiving. You see, God isn't giving you a garment to put on that is made of fabric and stitchings and linens. He is giving you, what? The very character of Christ to put on. Remember the progression I was talking about? We start with animal skins. We start, then we move to this beautiful garment that the priest would wear. Well, now it's even more glorious. It is Jesus himself that he is offering for his people to wear. And if the garments given to the priests in the Old Testament were meant to glorify and beautify the people of Israel, the people of God, how much more 
Will wearing the garments of Christ himself beautify you? Do you see what's going on here? At the cross, Jesus put your clothes on. The clothes that you stained with sin. He took those garments and he put them on himself. And he was treated accordingly. The shame that covers you, sinner, now covered him. He wore you on the cross. In all of your shame and all of the ugliness of sin, he put that on himself and he was nailed to the cross and shed his blood. So therefore, the shame that we have is utterly wiped away. And the defiled garments that we have now are cleansed to the core. And just as we gave Jesus our stained garments to wear, do you know what he does in return? He gives his perfect righteous robes, his new garments of of perfect cleanliness for you to wear instead. He took your sin-stained garments upon himself and now he gave you his righteous robes to put on. And now how does God see you, Christian, in Christ? He sees you as beautiful in his sight. There is no more shame that defiles you and separates you from the living God. You are granted access into the very presence of the living God. And we're not talking about entering into a holy of holies. We're talking about all of life. What's interesting here is that he's talking about husbands, wives, children, slaves, masters, employees, employers. In all areas of life, you are invited. Wear the garments of Christ and be connected to the living God and be beautified by the living God. A garment that completely covers our shame because he took our shame upon himself. So in Christ, we have a garment that covers our shame, and we have a garment that beautifies us. And the logic here in Colossians chapter 3 is you are buried with Christ. You are raised with him. Why are you wearing the garments of Adam? Why are you wearing that line of clothing? You don't belong to him anymore. You are Buried with Christ. You're raised with Christ. Here, put this on. This is what you should be wearing, you see? You're no longer represented by Adam. You're represented by Christ. Wear the clothing. Last, the clothing of Christ clarifies your identity and your mission. Ed Welch said this, 
there are different kinds of garments. One makes you stand out, and the other makes you fit in. This garment that Paul is telling believers to put on, it does both. When believers put on Christ, it is meant to cause us to stand out. Right? Will we stand out if we wear the garments of Christ? This is where I think sports is so helpful. Love them or leave them. When you put on a jersey, you inevitably will stand out. Right? You're a player. You're on a team. Uh, wearing the jersey tells, it tells you and it tells other people what direction you're going. It tells, you, it tells others who you represent and what you're trying to accomplish. Now, at the same time, wearing a jersey also tells you that you belong somewhere. In this case, wearing the garments of Christ tells the world about whose team you are on. And this should cause us to stand out. It also tells you that you belong. Where do you belong? Where do you belong? As you wear the garments of Christ, you belong in the presence of God. You belong in his kingdom. Have you ever thought about it this way? I wonder. Have you ever given it thought this way? That the command to put on then compassionate hearts, put on Christ, is an invitation actually. Yes, it's a command, but really it's an invitation to take off Adam's line of clothing and to put on Jesus' line of clothing so that you would be identified with the living God? Have you thought of it that way as an invitation? You can put on the robes of Christ, which says you belong to God. You are accepted here. This is your home. I pray that we wouldn't have drudgery. Oh, I got to put on compassion. Oh. No, you're invited into the fellowship of the living God. That's where you belong. What an invitation. What a command. What a God who would command these sorts of things. This illustration is going to seem trite right now. But I wrote it, so I'll go with it. Back to sports. I thought about the Minnesota Vikings. Adam Thielen. Like, probably maybe 30% of you know who Adam Thielen is. And, I, you know, sports illustrations are sometimes not very helpful because most of you don't care. But Adam Thielen is an interesting story because he's a Minnesota boy, which means his whole life he would have been wearing Viking replica jerseys, playing ball, wearing a little helmet, looking cute. 
And then all of a sudden he grows up and he walks onto the team and he makes the team and now he's like one of their best receivers. Cool story. And I thought, what would it have been like for Adam Thielen in that moment where he was given that Vikings game jersey and all of a sudden he realizes this isn't a replica. This is the real deal. You're on the team. What would that have been like for him? Even you non-sports fans, can you appreciate what a moment that would have been like? What do you suppose was going through his mind and what was going through his heart? It, it set him apart. He's no longer a fan. He's on the team. But it caused him to say, it also told him, you belong. You belong to this organization now. You're accepted. You're one of us. All in one fell swoop. swoop. It set him apart, and it told him he belongs. What an honor that would be to be a part of the heritage and the tradition of all the other players that came through and wore that same jersey. You're not on the outside looking in. You are in now. Do you see the tremendous honor, brothers and sisters, that it is to wear the garments of Christ? And this is where I was praying for this sermon. That the tremendous sense of honor that it is to put on Christ would land upon this church. To put on compassion, forgiveness, thankfulness, The way that you function as a husband, a wife, a child, an employee, an employer is all part of what it looks like to wear the garments of Christ. Jesus wore you on the cross and now you have the privilege of wearing him everywhere. The kingdom of God does have a dress code and you fit in. You have the right attire. Wear it. God is the one who provided it, but you have to put it on. And you will stand out from the world it will set you apart but you will also fit in to the kingdom of God into the very presence of God your shame is gone and the splendor of Christ the beauty of Christ is now the splendor of you and let me just point this out too You don't wear the garment because, or in order to become a new creation. This is utterly important. You do not wear the garment to get on the team. You wear the garment because you are on the team. And that's what Colossians 3, 1 to 4 tells us. Set your mind on the things above. Realize you're on the team. And when you realize that you're on the team... The natural flow is, I should wear the jersey. That's the command. 
But it's not like, hey, you know what? If I get myself a Minnesota Vikings jersey, I stitch my name on the back and I show up at, they're not going to be like, oh, well, he's got the jersey. We've got to put him on the team. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We don't legalistically force our way into the kingdom. We enter the kingdom because Jesus died and he rose again, and you believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. And then, as you become a new creation in him, here's the garments you wear. So that's very, very crucial, that we get the order of operations correct here. And I pray that we can grasp the intimacy that God envisions for us here to actually put on Christ. We're not talking about a priest who entered into a place and represented us. We're talking about a priest who died for us and actually says, now wear me. How's that for intimacy? How's that for coming close to the living God? That's amazing. So let me challenge us. If you're an unbeliever, stop running from God. Stop hiding. Realize that there's shame inside of your soul. And the subtle ways that you blame God and you blame shift, perhaps, are ways that you might be running away from God. And the invitation for you, if you're an unbeliever, is that Christ has completely covered your shame, that Christ is willing and ready to accept you into his fold, if you will simply say, you know what, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I'm the one who has defiled myself. He's ready and willing to forgive. God is attracted. He loves humility. And he requires nothing of you but to simply admit, I need a Savior. And for you, Believer, where is it that the garments of Adam are just so attractive to you, you just can't get rid of them? You go into your closet and you're like, ah, got to get rid of this outfit, but I like it. Keep it around a little bit longer. I might put it on again. Where is it? Which part of this list has to go? Do you struggle with anger? Is it sexual immorality, impurity? Is it the malice? What part of that list do you put on too often you need to put to death? Which one? Perhaps you could ask people that are close to you, which garment of Adam do I wear too frequently? Somebody who knows you and somebody that loves you and somebody that you can trust. Maybe in your community group. And, and which garment of Christ, which line of his clothing are people not seeing enough of in me? And I encourage you to think about this too. Hey, you know what? I, I mentioned this last week. Yeah, you have histories. Yeah, you have personality bents. Yeah, you have experiences that have shaped you and molded you. Yeah, you have parents that were like this. All of that might be true. And it might be really hard to break from those things. But you know what? You are not defined by that. 
you are defined by the fact that you have been buried with Christ and that you have been raised with Christ, that your life is hidden with Christ and you will appear with him in glory, that is the defining reality of who you are if you're a believer in Christ. And for God to say, then put on this, means that it is possible to do so. It is possible. Now, is it going to be easy? Can you snap your finger? Oh, yeah, I'll just, yeah. No, it won't be as simple as taking the the robe out of the, the thing and throwing it away. It won't be that simple. Some of you will fight till the day that you die taking that, that stuff off. But the important part of it is that you're fighting. If you're fighting, then praise God. Praise God. Bring other people that you know and trust into that fight to get that stuff off of you. To put it to death. It won't be easy. I'll promise you that. But it is possible. What an invitation, GCF. Can I get an amen on that? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for taking our shame for wearing it fully on the cross and covering us now with your beauty. May we see it as an invitation. May we see it as something that is possible because of our identity as people who have been buried and raised with you. Oh God, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen.